With the World Tour season well underway, this week on Put Your Socks On, we're taking a look at the role of professional cycling in the wider community and what role, if any, it should play in addressing the issues that genuinely confront the sport and, more importantly, our society. G'day everyone and welcome to the show. My name is Angus Morton and as always I'm joined by Bobby Julik. Bobby, how are you mate? Doing great Gus, doing great. Ready for this uh, exciting second episode of 2020, Put Your Socks On. Yeah, and uh, it's a great episode. But before we dive into the main body of the show, uh, it's already been a crazy busy season. To be honest, I sort of feel like I blinked and it's February and there's already a bunch of races that have been run and won. Do you want to catch us up on a couple of your favorite highlights for the beginning of the year? Yeah, like you said, the racing has already been fast and furious uh, down down in Australia. They're racing quite a bit. Um one of the things that really stuck out to me so far in this first month-ish of racing is how fast of a start Trek Segrafredo has gotten off. Mm. They won both the the overall stages and the overall of the Tour Down Under, as well as some, uh, some of those sprint stages in Mallorca. UAE Emirates are already off to a fast start with uh, Gavaria winning many, uh, I think he won three stages down in San Juan. Uh, I also wanted to point out Brandon McNulty, how strong he was finishing fourth overall in that. He did a very good time trial. I guess he was a little bit under the weather, bad conditions, whatnot. I mean, racing in Argentina, you got to expect the unexpected. But then he really showed very strong on the, uh, the uphill mountain finish. But I think the story of that race is just that Decoyne Quickstep just haven't missed a beat. They're already winning multiple races. And Remco Evenpol, his dominance in that time trial, and then being able to back it up with kind of being on the back foot at the at the base of that final climb and then being able to bridge to that group and, and stay with the leaders and keep his jersey. It was just, yeah, simply a monster performance in stage three and stage five. Yeah, I, w- I was really impressed with how how he dealt with the adversity like he because he, he did have quite a bit of adversity and he came back from it each time to what what is a remarkable victory this kid had an epic year last year as everybody unless you were hiding under a rock uh you, you would know this um but 2020 looks to be already it's starting out to be um another level again so i'm excited to watch this guy throughout the season yeah he's almost spoiling us right with the way that <laughs> yeah. he can just move from junior into the world tour ranks and then you know, play it forward in his in his second year, his sophomore season, and already be be the guy to beat with the confidence and maturity of somebody much much older. The other race races that were great were obviously we had the World Championship Cyclocross. Those were very wet, very muddy, looked miserably cold. The Dutch and the Belgians were all over the podiums, that's for sure. But uh, you know, everybody knows the results by now. Vanderpol just you know bombed everybody. But the the real story for me was Tom Pickock from Great Britain. This kid finished second to the world's best cyclocross racer, and he was actually eligible to race the under-23 category. Picked a really good time to, you know, peak, as you would say, 
uh, because he hadn't been on a podium of any of those World Cup races until this one, and this is the one to 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 do it in. So that was that was amazing. So good for him. Another like really young, really talented kid coming through coming through the cyclocross world. And I guess he's, I mean, he's raced on the road uh, um, with the Wiggins team and, and, and that I'm, I'm interested to see when's he going to make the jump to the world tour, to the road. And who's, it, it's got to be with Team Sky, right? Like surely he's, he's going to pop up there. Well, uh, he'd have to go back in time to get on Team Sky, but he could probably write. Well, Team write Ineos, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing that uh, I'd like to, give a little bit of shout out to is the under 23 women. Uh, we had Katie Klaus very close finishing in fourth yep. place. And in the junior women, the Netherlands went one and two, but uh, American Madigan Monroe got a medal, a bronze medal. So the American women seem to be making some, you know, progress, big progress in, in the world of cyclocross. I mean, normally we're, we're used to actually, you know what? We're not used to it because this was the first time that this under 23 women's event even took place. So um, great job to you, young ladies. Keep up the hard work. Uh, we also had the multiple countries have had their national championships already. The one that really stuck out to me was watching the Colombian national championships. Yes. When you see the, <laughs> the, the, you know, the start list of this race and especially the podium in the, you know, the top 10, it's like you're you're reading the results from the Tour de France or you know a big world tour event over in the US or over in Europe. So uh yeah, Haguita, Sergio Haguita, our favorite guy from Tour of California last year, yep. uh did it again. He's he's he won the nationals and did see that the outcome of the race was a little bit affected with uh Souza who was in the breakaway with him crashing out as well mm. as uh, Bernal, who had a really heavy crash. I saw that on one of the Twitter feeds. That didn't look too good, but he got up and finished second. Still finished second, yeah. But when you see names like Haguita, Martinez, Quintana, Chavez, Hanau, all in the top, wow. That must, it must be so much fun to be watching races in Colombia right now. Yeah, that, that, is a, uh, uh, it, that was a stacked field. There's some good racing coming up in Colombia, and it's going to be exciting to watch the Vuelta Colombia will be really epic. I do want to add one thing before we jump into the main part of the show, and that is Cam Worth, uh, former Olympic rower, former uh, professional road cyclist, rode for, for, for Cannondale, Liquid Gas back in the day, uh, world Ironman bike leg record holder uh, and top five finisher. He just announced, well, it was just announced that he is uh, racing with Team Ineos this year, which is crazy. I, I know he's been coached by Tim Kerrison for a few years and he's been involved. He trains a lot with Froome and, and Grant Thomas. I, I trained with them one day when they were out in LA uh, when I used to live out there actually. And, and Thomas looked at me because I was wearing a t-shirt and he's like, who the hell is this <laughs> like hacker that you've brought along? Um, anyway, but yeah, I just wanted to make a note that uh, that is pretty, pretty exciting stuff to see him back in the world tour and with with none other than Team Ineos. So I'm excited to see what he can do this year. And did you see his first race in the first couple kilometers of his first race? He was dicing it on the front, you know, in the <laughs> crosswinds, just doing what he does. So yeah, it'll be exciting to see. I know that they lost Vasily Karienka mm. and he was very integral part of Team Ineos's team, right? Like, mm. okay, you got, on a lot of these teams, you do have the marquee guys, you have the big names, you have the leaders. But I really like seeing a team that respects 
and rewards those guys that do all that grunt work. So yeah, absolutely. I don't expect Cam to be on the podium of you know any of the, the grand tours, but he could be a part of that, that engine room, if you will, of Team Ineos in, in many, many races this year. But I just hope that he you know, keeps his powder dry a little bit because I'd love to see him in the, in the Ironman in Kona again. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see him. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, I think, uh, it'll be exciting. I mean, I, I, he wouldn't have made the decision if, if, if they didn't feel that this will, will add to his, um, won't add to his ability to, to potentially win that, uh, Kona Ironman race. So anyway, it'll be really interesting to take a look, but, uh, what, <clears throat> what we really want to talk about today is, um, you know, as we said, it's been an exciting start of the season. And as we sort of take stock on all the races, the elephant in the room at the Tour Down Under uh, was, and, and this is for me at least, the bushfire crisis um, that was and still is gripping Australia. Um, and it was interesting uh, to see the event go ahead in the end, um, given the devastation the fires were causing to the local communities. And then just from a health perspective, right, the perspective of the athletes, the air quality um, was still so poor in the region. Yeah, those those wildfires were were no joke. And, you know, I get up in the morning and I watch the news and then turn on ESPN Sports Center and kind of a fan of of tennis becoming a a little bit of a fan. And Mm. one of the things that stuck out to me was in one of the Australian Open qualifiers, uh, Dalila, I can't even say her name, um, Dalila Yukovic, retired from her match because she had a coughing fit. So when I saw mm. this on the news or on Sports Center, I was like, man, oh man, if she's having this sort of coughing fit playing tennis, I wonder what those guys down in the Tour Down Under are going to have to deal with. You know, we don't, to my knowledge, we don't have a pollution protocol, you know, which is similar to that extreme weather protocol that the, that the UCI uses quite often down there. So it was kind of like, if it's not one thing, it's another for that race. It's one, it's such a great race, but normally it's affected by the heat and they have to shorten the stages and they've definitely become very good at planning those stages so that they're not super long. But now it wasn't super hot and they didn't have to invoke the, the extreme weather protocol. But I wonder what those guys were feeling like. And I never heard anybody mention it, so it must have been okay. They did have that rain come in and clear mm. clear out the air quality, but man, is this something that we're going to have to look at in the future? It's um, a little bit scary, but it's right there in front of us. And that's exactly it, and that's why you know um, it was I think very much that that highlighted that uh, you know um, these kind of devastating weather events um, are becoming not only more common, but they just like they they're becoming consistent. And they're on our doorstep. And, and that's what I was interested to see. You know, you saw the roadsides were charred as they rolled through the Adelaide Hills. And I was watching to see if anyone from within the sport, sport kind of became outspoken about it um, or said anything. And, and, and I, I know my, my little brother, uh, Lachlan Morton, um, and, he, and his teammate, good mate of mine, Mitch Docker, they sacrificed their hair in an effort to raise some funds for the bushfire relief. There was a few other, um, a few other athletes out there that, um, auctioned off jerseys and, and donated money in, in, in bits and pieces. But for me, what it really, what I sort of started to think about, right, was um, what is the what is the role of our sport in society, and what is the what is is the purpose of it? And and what I mean by that is is what is the like what do we hope the outcome um, of of an event like the Tour Down Under is? And when when we see these devastating fires and and these weather events, is there a way? that the sport or, or should the sport highlight these things and should the sport 
aim to work to get society to combat them or should they leave these things alone? Well, that's what we really want to dive into here is the role of professional cycling in the wider community and what role, if any, should it play in addressing these issues that generally confront the future of the sport and our society? Um, it's 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 a it's an interesting topic. It's controversial, um, mm. but man, I think there's a place for it. Absolutely, and 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 thinking about this or, or watching the, watching the Tour Down Under and and sort of thinking about this, seeing the devastation, all this sort of stuff, and. And uh, it reminded me of a conversation I had with my old team boss and and who uh, and good good friend of mine, Michael Drapak. Um, and when I very first signed with Drapak, gosh, I was I was seventeen or eighteen years old. And he said to me, uh, he said, like what he saw the role of sport within society, um, what he saw that to be. And he pointed me towards uh, Pierre de Corbetin, um, who was. Uh, basically started the Olympism movement, wrote the Olympic Creed back in uh, like 1915 or so. Um, And he said, the main goal of Olympism is to place sport at the service of the harmonious development of humankind with a view to promoting a peaceful society concerned with the preservation of human dignity. So essentially, sport should serve the sole purpose of making the world a better place. You could argue nowadays, if you look at a lot of a lot of sport, you you could argue that that isn't always the case. Um, and certainly within our sport, cycling, over the years, we've had our fair share of controversies um, that have un- undoubtedly done more harm than good to society. So I sort of wanted to look, I wanted to look into this and I wanted to see if we can, you know, maybe get a discussion going and, and get people to look at how, what, our, what role our, our sport plays in society and what legacy we want it to leave as you know, uh, as as the world is is well, our our playground where we use this sport is is rapidly changing. Let's go back a little bit. Athletes using uh, to talk on this, I, I sort of went back and I dived into um, a bit of history of I guess like athlete activism um, or or you know sport sport being used to to find some sort of a justice or make some sort of a point. And the first widely known case of athlete activism was on January the thirteenth. 532 AD. Uh, it, was a, it, it was at a chariot race in Constantinople uh, where two rival teams, both uh, the captains of two rival teams, both, both asked the emperor, Justinian, uh, to pardon two of their followers who had been condemned to death. Um, Justinian refused and that led to six weeks of rioting. Um, since then, we've seen a ton of athletes speak out publicly, most famously, Tommy Smith and John Carlos um, during the Fists of Fury at the 1936 Games, uh, Olympic Games in Berlin. Uh, Muhammad Ali, of course, protesting the Vietnam War. And more recently, Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem uh, and the NBA um, uh, and their rift with the Chinese government over the Hong Kong democracy process. So there is a history of this happening um, and it's been extremely controversial and... Uh, within cycling, um, the only example I could sort of that, that came to mind or that I could find was Cadell Evans when he famously wore uh, the free Tibet undershirt when he won Fletch Willone back in 2008, um, which was the year the Olympics were being held in Beijing. Um, and I wanted to kind of, yeah, well, first of all, Bobby, you were racing then. Um, I wanted to see how that was received within the sport um, and also. Yeah, what like what your kind of view on 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 these type of things are? Yeah, two thousand and eight when Cadell wore that shirt, things were different. You know, like mm. we didn't really know 
what he was getting after, you know, the cyclists, athletes are in a bubble and it was kind of like, what, 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 what is this all about? And you didn't really put two and two together. And that's where the uninformed ignorance kind of gets in the way of your first impression. So I'd say looking at it now, like, holy mm. cow, that was, that was great. But like back then we're kind of like, what's he doing? You know, this is an art, yeah. this is in our place because generally sports and politics are typically seen as two things that shouldn't be mixed. Perfect example. You already mentioned it with Colin Kaepernick, mm-hmm. um, but athletes using their platforms to stand up for what is right has, has always been controversial, right? So yep. yet m- many of these actions have not really led to too much outcome. They sparked that important public discourse about the issues that were being represented in in the past. So it's it's a minefield, and I can see why certain people kind of stay away from it. And then there's also some characters that um, get involved. And that's it. And 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 why I sort of why I wanted to to go through a little bit of the history of of this, and uh, you know, and and kind of make this statement about you know five. 32 AD is that sport even though we generally want to consider these two things separate like they've like there's there there's been you know countless examples throughout time where sport has been used to make change for the better whether that being directly or spark that conversation and why I think it's relevant now is that climate change has begun to affect our sport in such a way that we may not be able to participate in it in a safe and meaningful way within the next decade um it's it, it, like and that's not a, that's not a joke like the tour down under is in is it, it, it's a real threat running where it is now that they will not be able to to run um in the way that it is run in the near future um this year is a perfect example of that right and so we need to really very quickly figure out how we uh as the sp- we the sport as a whole work to rectify this problem um and 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 another reason that that I wanted to bring this up as well is that it's particularly important for cycling specifically um, is that you know there was a report released by the ICCC um, International Climate Council um, late last year where they stated that the bike um, and cycling will play a very large role in what they're calling the global climate solution and so that puts cycling in a very unique position in that it can offer legitimate like like by riding a bike um this sport can offer a legitimate answer or an actionable solution to a global problem, right? Um, which a lot of other, you know, like like the, the car industry doesn't really have a, a great way of doing that yet. Um, you know, like windsurfing, that can't really, you know, we, we can't all start windsurfing and that's going to be a, a legitimate solution to the way that we, um, to, to, to the climate problem. But riding a bike, riding a bike to and from work, integrating um, that in into our society is going to be an actual actionable way um so in actual way to solve the problem so um what but but what we need to do i think as a professional sport right we're seen as the head of of the sport racing bikes is kind of like on the road is typically been seen as the the pinnacle of the sport and i think that in order to lead the charge and in order to really wholeheartedly embrace this cycling needs to rethink its role in society do we does cycling want to be one that is aimed at benefiting society, or does it be so the role of professional sport, um, of professional cycling? Sorry, should it be one that is aimed at benefiting society, or should it be one that is aimed at generating more profit? Um, 
And then this goes for the role of the athlete as well and how they use their platforms going forward. Is, is, is the role of the athlete to win races and to be adored by fans or is it to do good, lead by example and be a role model for the followers of the sport? Um, I think it's these, these are the questions we need to ask and I think um, as athletes, as participants in the sport, as fans of the sport, we need to be asking these questions and we need to be supporting people who are potentially doing or engaging in this sport in a more wider reaching way. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, I think that it's these questions that we need to answer if we're going to have any chance of essentially saving, you know, the outdoors, which we're, we're losing. You know, let's, let's, let's discuss this. Like what role do you see sport playing in society or what do you feel like what what where do you feel it sort of should fit and do you think that you know we should be having more Colin Kaepernick's uh in the sport of cycling or do you think that there are other ways that or other roles that the sport should play yeah really good question I I've often heard that sport is actually a diversion from reality like yep. you know we have so many things going on our lives are so busy you know you're trying to pay the rent you're trying to take care of the kids that you just kind of want to watch a sporting event and kind of forget about real world problems. And, you know, going back to your point about is sport there to benefit society or is it to make a profit? I think we have to differentiate the two between professional sport and participation sport. So professional sport is always going to be there. It's been there since, you know, the gladiators. Um, but, what we need to focus on is the other 99% of the world's population that isn't doing this professionally and cycling, you know, zero emissions, healthy lifestyle, less traffic. These are all things that we know very, very well, but making, making that difference is I think one step at a time, you know, with, with your brother and, and Mitch, they're, unselfish way of trying to help a cause. Uh, I also saw that Caleb Ewan uh, donated some stuff and that uh, Robbie McEwen, am among many, many others. I think every team down at the Tour Down Under actually auctioned off one of their signed jerseys to, to raise money for this. And I think this is, this is where we can do good things for people because these athletes do have a platform, they do have a following, and people listen to them. And I've always respected when, when a rider goes outside of their little bubble and does something good, not necessarily to be put on Instagram or Twitter, but just does something good for his local club, you know, riding with juniors, um, for, for helping, helping a, a newly established event get started by allowing them to use his or her image. These, these are all things that do add up, but are we actually putting a dent in, you know, the overall emissions issue around the world? I, I don't know. When you watch the sport of cycling and you see 190 guys yeah. whiz by, and then you see 50 to 100 cars following them, I, I wonder if there's anything that we can look at in the future that will lower that carbon footprint around professional cycling. I've, and the this has come up many, many times, and a lot of people have their opinions on it. You know, how do we use electric cars? We can't use electric cars because the stages are too long and guys would run out of batteries. I think we could find a solution around that. I, I really, I, I really yeah. do. You know, remember, these cars are following guys that are pedaling their bicycles. And it's not like you have to have a race car. You can go exactly. pretty exactly. fast 
by just you know using a normal engine or an electric engine to catch up to the breakaway. Yes, sometimes, and I've been in the car, it's kind of scary. When you see, <laughs> when, when you're 10 minutes behind the breakaway and all of a sudden your rider needs you and you have to go up to them, you know, you can go up to them at 100 miles an hour or you could go up to them at 55 miles an hour. It may take you a little bit longer, but, you know, at, at what cost to, you know, the emissions issue. And I should, I should note that we did, um, we did reach out to the UCI um, for this episode with a couple of questions based around this, like how... Um, you know, what is their role in, given the knowledge of the, the bike being an integral part of the climate solution, what is their role um, and what is the role of professional cycling in, in helping that along? Um, as of recording, they haven't got back to us. I'm hoping they will um, and we'll update you. My feelings are in this and, and I honestly, like as an when I was an athlete and when I was racing, I didn't engage. Um, I didn't use my platform and, and didn't think that I should use my platform. Not that I necessarily had a big one, but to to talk about these issues. But since I've stopped racing, I really regret not doing that. Um, and I think that it's important. There's a balance there to your point. Like, you know, a lot of the time with this sort of stuff, you end up just preaching um, to the converted and alienating those who you probably need to be getting through to or who you're trying to get through to. Um, and so I sort of, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure figure that out as I think a lot of people are but my feelings are that as issues like climate change go from being abstract to intermittent to on our doorstep and in our faces daily um, we as fans and participants need to reconsider how we hold our sport accountable and what we want our sport to represent in the wider society and you know the athletes that we look up to we want you know what, what do we want them to say about this and 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 what was evident in 2019 shit's gotten real uh, it's no joke that we may not be able to ride our bikes safely the way we have been in the future um, and we need to do something about it. And I think that's where the, the line is for me. That's like, like at the Tour Down Under this year, I think we, we hit the line um, and, and we as a sport now to, need to be really active um, in how we address these issues that, that confront us so intensely, right? So I don't know, that could be controversial and I, and I, do, I do feel it is, but this is something I feel that we need to, to look at is, is, you know, what role do we want our sport to, to play and, you know, how are we going to get it to do that? So with that all said, that's the end of the show. I want to hear, we, we, we're on Twitter, at Physopod, um, P-Y-S-O-P-O-D. Hit us up. We want to hear what you guys think about this. We want to, you know, whether you agree with what we're saying, whether you disagree with what I'm saying, um, what do you think are some ways that... that, that that we can address these issues through the sport without alienating people. I don't know. Even if, uh, yeah, just hit us up on, on there. Uh, don't forget to follow us over on iTunes. We are Fizzo on iTunes. Um, you can also get the show on velonews.com, of course. We're also on Instagram. Bobby is at Bobby Zulik. Uh, and myself, I am at that is Gus. Bobby, what's next week's show looking like? Next week's show is a good one. We're going to be looking at the way cycling has been covered over the years, how that coverage is evolving, and what it may look like in the future. There is a, that's going to be an interesting deep dive. There's a lot to talk mm. about there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Thanks, everyone. And don't forget to put your socks on. Mm.